Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. Lots of uh, reaction, Hammer, to the uh, Memphis video of the five police officers beating and eventually killing uh, a man. He died three days later from his injuries. Hard to watch. Got really sad. Or was Friday night around 7. I, I can only watch it once before. I, you know, screaming for his mom and stuff like that. It's just, it, it's awful. The whole situation. There's lots of unanswered questions. I don't get it at all. And yeah, just the lack of humanity generally is just... I, it's it's got me very confused. It's 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 sick. Tyree Nichols, twenty nine years old, died a couple days later from the injuries, and you will not find a show that's more pro law enforcement than this one. Of course, but we will call out the bull crap when we see it, and that's what it was. It was bull crap. I hope the justice system does its part. These guys have been charged. With second-degree murder at this point, there's an outside chance that could move up to a first-degree. Not quite sure about that. But these guys just absolutely made this look personal against this guy. I don't know what the backstory was. There's a lot of stuff out there on social media. I don't know what's true or not. But what I do know is that they beat this guy to death, and they made it look personal, and that's disgusting. And it's important to to note that most police officers, including the ones we know, hate this kind of thing more than dealing with your average everyday criminals out on the streets, right? Right. This doesn't this this is not how any police officer is trained. This is not the standard procedure. Um, it, 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 this it looked like this was done. There was a purpose behind it. I, right. I don't I don't understand it. I don't get it. But the I guess he was. He, driving erratically or something again we don't know it just doesn't look like a typical that does in no way shape or form um it's the exception rather than the rule in the case of law enforcement and what's going to happen now is that because of these horrible people in memphis that did this they make it so much more difficult for the officers to do things the right way because now anytime there's a and I'm using air quotes here, routine traffic stop. You never know who's going to freak out now because, you know, there could be somebody that's like, I'm scared of the police. I don't want to cooperate with the police. Are you going to beat me like you did that guy in Memphis or like what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis? That's the domino effect of what happens when bad officers tarnish the group. And this isn't the first time something like this has happened. Unfortunately, if we're just being honest here, I don't know if it's going to be the last time, but I'm curious to see what happens in terms of policing, because the majority of police officers do things by the book. They do things the right way. But we know how this works right now. Your city councils, your politicians, your civilian merit boards, they're going to all get together and they're going to say, well, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to do that. Perhaps some of the ideas may be good, 
but a lot of what you're going to see is going to be an overreaction to bad cops that yeah. I think is going to hurt good cops. And there's another aspect to this. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, you had the defund the police movement. You had the summer of love in 2020, um, which I believe resulted in the mass exodus of many police officers, leaving recruitment problems behind, leaving a sh- police officer shortage. And this happened, of course, in Memphis, where two of the officers involved uh, joined that department after it lowered its hiring standards. They lowered the hiring standards for so, you know, in the effort to hire more police officers because they were understaffed. And that was a direct result, again, of the defund the police movement. Honestly, I thought things would get more out of hand over the weekend there were some protests i saw i thought i saw a looter there was a little bit but i honestly because i have such low expectations apparently i was expecting people to just come into the cities that don't give a blue rat's rear end about the cause that would use that horrific situation as a chance to break a window get some free stuff And I think that did happen in 2020. There were so many people that came to downtown Indianapolis or other major cities around this country. They couldn't tell you the name of the guy that was probably killed up in Minnesota. They could not tell you the name of George Floyd, but they knew there were riots and a lot of these things were organized. So I had a really bad feeling about Friday and this weekend, and we did see a little bit You saw some protesters in Memphis. They closed down the I-55 bridge. Uh, D.C. had some action. L.A. had some action outside of the LAPD headquarters. But for the most part, it was not as bad as I thought. Do you think that's because this was five black officers and one black suspect? Well, you have to remember that officers were immediately fired and removed. In fact, there is a sixth officer that has now been fired from the uh, department uh, there in Memphis. I don't know if he was arrested, but five officers. I mean, these guys weren't just, I mean, they were maniacs, man. And, and they were immediately fired and they were immediately arrested and they were immediately charged. So swift action was taking in, taken in Memphis. Uh, five, like I say, five black police officers, black police chief. And, um, I, I, no, I think I think the fact that if these guys were out walking around free and there were cover-ups and stuff like that, of course, there may have been a more fierce response. So let's have a conversation that a lot of people are afraid to have. Oh All right, we got oh. three pasty white dudes in the studio right now. My opinion, it feels like there's a lot of media folks that are upset that this isn't a racial situation. Now, I say this. Because I want to play you an audio clip of Don Lemon speaking to New York City's Mayor Eric Adams. Now, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he's a black man. He's a man with law enforcement background. But I want you to listen to his answer here to Don Lemon. All the officers being black, it takes race off the table. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I think that I understand what uh, the chief was saying, and I think she uh, really handled this situation in a very professional way. She moved swiftly. She ensured that those officers were removed from the department. She took all the necessary steps. Uh, but I think uh, race is still on the table. Uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture 
culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the cities that they are policing in. So you do train police. Police are trained that way. And to make it a race issue just kind of distracts from the, the main problem here. And again, it's, everybody it's, it's, was the same race in this situation. This is Jamel Hill. She's a writer for The uh, Atlantic. Failed ESPN host. Quote, several of the police officers who murdered Freddie Gray were black. The entire system of policing is based on white supremacy violence. We see people under the boot of oppression carry its water all the time. The entire system of policing is based on white supremacist violence, yet she gives no examples of what she's talking about, no proof, unless you're talking about, oh, the 1619 Project or something. Well, the Glendale but, uh, FOP know, responded because the Freddie Gray information was wrong. Really? The Glendale, Arizona FOP responded, quote, first off, nobody murdered Freddie Gray. A black judge known for his advocacy in the civil rights realm laughed at the activist prosecutor out of the courtroom twice. Those officers are innocent. Secondly, nobody believes this was racist. And it goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. There are folks bending themselves in a pretzel, trying so hard to make this a racial situation. This story is already bad enough. You don't need to try to bend it into something to fit, you know, better ratings or your narrative. You could make this a police brutality issue. All right, we're open to listening to that. You could make this an oppression issue. All right, fine, whatever. But to try to go out of your way to make this a racist issue when there's clearly not one here, it just seems like it's a disservice. It really does. And it's how bad our media has become nationally in this country. Here's another one. This is liberal journalist journalist and activist Bree Newsom Bass. Quote, diversifying the police force doesn't end racism because racism is inherent to the organization. Do we know (laughs) that it was a racist attack? Did these five officers in Memphis kill Tyree Nichols, because he was black, you don't know that. You're throwing crap against the wall and hoping that it sticks. I mean, the media does this, though. I mean, you saw that with Larry Elder in the uh, recall election against Gavin Newsom, the black face of white supremacy. They're not afraid to use that white supremacy in any way, shape, or form they can to advance their narrative. Because they know so many people are afraid to talk about it. That's exactly what it's about. Just a disgusting piece of video. And I'm like you, Nigel. I could not watch that thing more than once. Hearing him yell for his mom. Unbelievable. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up. And experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think it uh, at one point... I saw the water boy taking snaps for the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> in that NFC Championship game. Uh, that's Hammer. I'm Nigel. It was a trifecta yesterday, baby. I was on the couch all day long. Purdue at noon, NFC Championship at three, AFC at six. 
Oh, what a day. And if you bet on the 49ers, the gambling gods owe you <laughs> a favor. Because what a bad break. I know, man. Like well, you're uh, already see- down to your third string quarterback, which was a great story, Brock Purdy. Purdy. Because everybody else is injured. And then he gets injured on the very first drive. So you get cast off Josh Johnson in the game. He is a true journeyman of the league, isn't he? He's been around for like 15 years, I think. He is. And he had a cup of coffee with the Colts at one point. He did? He got injured. (laughs) And they were rotating like Christian McCaffrey in as emergency quarterback. The running back? And the the (laughs) wounded duck that was Brock Purdy. They brought him back in there to basically hand the ball off. Not very fair. No, it was a bad game. I've never seen a game game where, where a team doesn't have a quarterback that can't actually throw the football in the <laughs> nfc championship yeah, no. game i guess i should have been more specific i've never <laughs> seen an nfc championship game where the quarterback physically can't throw the football so uh, philadelphia has advanced to the super bowl senator fetterman your thoughts the eagles are so much better than the eagles <laughs> and they will be taking on the kansas city chiefs who beat the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday. Now, you watched the game. I watched the game. Rob Kendall, we were talking earlier, watched the game. Do you think the officiating had a little hand in that remind one? Me, remind me of some of the calls. Well, I the, can't think of the, uh, the big one, the end of the game the was the game, yeah. 15-yard late hit on Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. Oh, well, no, that, that, which I nothing, think was a right call. Yeah, there was nothing controversial. Was that controversial? Because he was Some out of bounds? Some people thought it was. Some people thought you let it go. But I thought it was the right call. There was another one where it what? felt like the officials got confused and they gave Kansas City an extra down. They basically did a good old-fashioned redo on the playground. And then there was a penalty. <sighs> yeah. So they had like five downs to get the first down. But the Bengals also made some mistakes, though. You can't hit Patrick Mahomes late, out of bounds, at home. They're going to throw the flag, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's me. I don't see the controversy there. I mean, if he would have been on the field, that would have been a legitimate play, I guess, maybe. But, yeah, the, the play's over. It looked like Mahomes had kind of let up a little bit. Right. You know, he's, he's thought the play's over, and the guy knocks him down. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do? Honestly, it felt like there was some motivation this week for the Kansas City Chiefs because of the idiot mayor from Cincinnati. So the idiot mayor from Cincinnati put out a video on his social media earlier in the week, and he was calling the Chiefs stadium, Arrowhead Stadium, Burrowhead Stadium, because Joe Burrow's had success there. And at one point, He says that Joe Burrow is Mahomes' father. Good afternoon, Cincinnati. I have a proclamation from the desk of the mayor. Be it proclaimed, whereas the Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Burrowhead Stadium for their second consecutive AFC championship game. Whereas at last year's game, the Bengals scored more points than the Chiefs, resulting in a Bengals victory and a Chiefs loss. Whereas Joseph Lee Burrow, who's 3-0 against Mahomes, has been asked by officials to take a paternity test to confirming whether or not he's his father. That's the mayor of Cincinnati. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's a funny joke, but the mayor of Cincinnati is saying he's your daddy? And it did not go unnoticed by the Kansas City Chiefs because in the post game, Patrick (laughs) Mahomes brought it up. Yeah, I mean, you got Burrowhead. I mean, they beat us last time. They were talking about we got to play them. 
There was a lot of stuff. I mean, the mayor came at me, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I understand he's the mayor of Cincinnati, so he has to think about something. But uh, I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's something that you just got to play the football game and then let your play do the talking. I love it. So that was the post game in the locker room in the media reaction. Okay, that's fine. Travis Kelsey went a different direction on the field the on the live television. The tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs went full rock. Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. <laughs> he got a jabroni in there. He got a jabroni in there. Oh wow! This morning, the mayor of Cincinnati's yeah. Wikipedia page was changed to say his job title was jabroni, <laughs> and that he was listed as the son of Travis Kelsey. Okay. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show it's monday gun day with the gun guy just watch out for the guns they'll get you guy stop calling your arms guns the hammer and nigel show 93 wibc yeah. my name is nigel jason hammer is here guy relford second amendment attorney licensed firearms instructor joining us in studio guy how are you man i'm great and thanks as always to our sponsor fort liberty firearms in avon indiana 8401 east highway 36 great place to buy firearms ammunition or accessories check out my buddies at the fort at fortlibertyfirearms.com just real quick i want because this happened the day after this would have been perfect uh for or your, your segment uh last monday because it happened tuesday the governor of california New, uh, gavin newsom saying the second amendment is quote becoming a suicide pact following uh, the mass shooting yeah in california yeah, yeah a suicide I, I mean could you imagine somebody saying that a well, you know, suicide pact? Well, he know, goes, I'm not ideologically against uh, people owning guns, but it's a suicide. You are. You are. Well, of course you are. If your first thought after the citizens of your state have gone through what they what they went through in two different shootings, innocent people have lost their lives. People have broken every law imaginable that you've passed right there in California, and your first yeah. thought is to attack the United States Constitution? <laughs> And label the Second Amendment as a suicide pact. If that's your first thought, dude, you know, uh, you are the new Governor Moonbeam in California, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And it's not just him. Uh, There was this Berkeley professor, the former Secretary of Labor, Robert Reich, who put out a tweet that the Second Amendment was never intended to permit mass slaughter. Well, of course not. And it has nothing to do with it. And that's why we have laws that put you in jail, prison, or give you the death penalty if you engage in in any such crime. The Second Amendment is no defense. I can't say, yeah, okay, I just murdered several people, but Second Amendment, 
You know, hey, I defend uh, self-defense cases all the time. To, to say you have a justification for killing someone based on the Second Amendment has never been part of jurisprudence in this country. It's a ridiculous argument. It's never been made on our side as justification. So why would you blame the Constitution for somebody's criminal act? Now, you would know this better than I would. You're a two-way attorney, but the Second Amendment was intended to stop the mass slaughter of American citizens by a tyrannical government, no? Well, precisely right. I mean, that's why we say, that's why we talk about uh, to guarantee the security of a free state, right? That's the justification for the Second Amendment that's in the Second Amendment. And to turn around and say, oh no, it's to justify the slaughter of innocent human beings. Uh, and the fact that a college professor, it should be surprising. Jason, it should be surprising. Yeah. Of course, it's not because right. it's a college professor. And it's Berkeley. If I yeah. just told you a college professor would have said this, and I'll give you three guesses on the university, you probably didn't need the other two guesses <laughs> to figure out that it was Berkeley. <laughs> exactly. But it's like I just want these people to say what they really think because Gavin Newsom says the Second Amendment's a suicide pact. But but uh, hey, hey, I have I have great respect. I have no opposition to someone who reasonably is owning a firearm. But the suicide, but it's a suicide pact. Say what you really mean be uh, have the courage to say you want to ban guns well you yeah. don't want uh citizens lawfully to have any sort of firearms right and in order to do that you want to repeal the second yes Amendment. that's their Just ultimate agenda it. and so and by the way i get that all the time you know i have occasionally somebody will call my show or somebody will send me some you know, message or, or post something on social media that says we should just repeal the second amendment it's antiquated i always say settle up get on with it yeah all you need is a resolution passed by two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate, followed by a ratification by three-quarters of the states. That's 37. So you, you want to repeal the Second Amendment? There's a process to do it. We've amended the Constitution, what, 28 times? Get on with it. Saddle up. Don't tell me you want to um, you want to repeal the Second Amendment. Get her done. <laughs> right. You're one man. Let's go. Saddle up. Guy Relford joining us here for Monday Gun Day. So let's get the Second Amendment mixed in with the First Amendment here. Yeah. Did I see you in a New York Times article here, Guy? Yeah. How about that? Guy Relford in the, in the New York Times <laughs> Liberal article. Guy Relford appearing <laughs> in the New York Times. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, last week, uh, you know, I, I was actually driving i was coming back from court and uh my my cell phone rang in my car and it literally said new york times on my cell phone and i thought okay this is a solicitation call or whatever i almost didn't take it but i hit you know i hit answer and it was a reporter named serge kovaleski from the new york times and they were doing an article and i gotta tell you just to back up as, as, as much shade as i've thrown at the new york times for years and years they actually did an article where the premise of the article was asking the question do 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 instant instances of her heroes like my client uh, Eli Dickin standing up and, and and putting himself in harm's way and and defending and, and protecting innocent lives saving innocent lives like in the Greenwood Park mall shooting in July of last year and 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 similarly they talked about the Noblesville middle school shooter where uh, was it Jason Seaman uh, jumped yep. in, a teacher heroically jumped you know in, into harm's way and 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 saved what was probably going to turn out to be a mass shooting there too and they said does this does this tell us that more people are going to start carrying guns because they see that they have an opportunity to actually jump into the breach and 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 save innocent lives I mean that was the premise of the article which I couldn't believe the New York Times was even considering running it but this guy yeah he, he called me and and I ended up getting to where I was going anyway, and I pulled into a parking lot and did about a 40-minute interview with this guy. 
And uh, he asked me a lot of really good questions. Well, he said, you know, a lot of people are out there uh, asking for more gun control. Do you think that would make a difference? And I said, well, you know, we're, we're, we're talking, and by the way, the broader context was the California shootings. We had two shootings just last week. Uh, in California, where actually a bystander there, an unarmed bystander, actually took a gun away from the bad guy in that situation. So we're talking about California and California mass shootings and saying, moving on from the California shootings, do you think more people might consider carrying guns because they potentially have the opportunity to save innocent lives? And, and, and he said, what about gun control? And I said, well, consider in the context of California, we're talking about every gun control law that's ever been on any wish list of Shannon Watts or Michael Bloomberg or any other gun control proponent in the universe, they've got every damn thing you could ever want. It's the, I literally, I said, my, my quote was, it was the cornucopia of gun control right there in California. And that didn't prevent two mass shootings in California. And it went on from there. We did a long interview. He actually, to his credit, and I really appreciated this because most reporters don't do this, he sent me a text that included his quotations from our interview that he mm. wanted to put in the article. And it asked me to you know, approve them or verify they were correct, which I thought was outstanding. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. <laughs> you shouldn't be surprised. That's where we're at. And in, in that, that's the <laughs> we're shocked when a reporter actually does his job. Well, yeah, true. And yeah. follows up well, and makes point. sure he got everything right. But we're talking about the New York Times. I understand. Guys so, talking I, about I, the yeah. New York Times, like yeah. my mom talks about our radio show. <laughs> it sounded like a real show this afternoon. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Well, exactly. And so, and so I thought, wow, you know, this actually has a shot and then the article came out and uh they uh they included one line from about a 40 minute again this isn't surprising this happens all the time but a one line from about a 40 minute interview that says uh basically that uh you know my client eli dickin was going through uh you know a, a time where he had to deal with the fact that you know, he'd been through a life-changing experience where he'd had to use deadly force to save innocent lives. That's all. That's all. All he mentioned. They didn't talk any of the 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 refuting of the ridiculous gun control arguments. Yet they allowed Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms okay. Demand Action, to go on for like three paragraphs about how we needed to institute more gun control. But the premise of the article was still, and I got to give him some credit where credit is due. The premise of the article was still. Do you think more people are going to want to be able to legally carry firearms in public because we've seen multiple instances of heroes rise to the occasion and save countless lives? They didn't take it quite that far, but that was the pr basic premise of the of the article. And I was shocked that the New York Times um, would would run such an article, or the editors there would allow the reporters to actually get it published. Well, isn't that kind of hand in hand, though? I mean, people carry guns because they want to protect themselves. Well, and so if they're ever in a situation where there is a mass shooting, I mean, I feel like the two, it's like one and the same almost. Well, no, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, my response was, look, a lot of us carry guns every day, not necessarily because we think we're going to be involved in the next mass shooting. Right. You know? right. Uh, but, but because, you know, basic street crime is a lot more common than that. And, and you know, if somebody... You know, walks up, you know, with a knife out, demanding my wallet. I want to be able to defend myself or defend my family, if that's applicable. So I said, look, a lot of us 
don't carry guns because we're, you know because still I mean as much as 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 they happen far too often and as horrific as they are mass shootings are still ridiculously uh, rare statistically right yeah. I mean you're still much more likely to die in a shark attack or get hit by lightning than you are to die in a mass shooting so they're they're still incredibly rare but but they're but they're so emotional for so many of us and they have such a horrific effect and they, they and they happen too often and they get covered in the news extensively that, that that they're in the forefront of a lot of people's minds but. I don't think a lot of people carry a gun necessarily thinking, wow, if I go to the mall today, I'll be in the middle of a mass shooting. At the same time, if I'm walking back to my car and some dude tries to rob me or wants to murder me in order to take my wallet, my watch, and my car, I want to have the capacity to defend myself. Guy, could you stick around for one more break with us? Absolutely. All right, we're going to come back. we got more to get to with Guy Relford because I want to ask you about what's going on at the Indiana General Assembly in regards to firearms. You betcha. More with the gun guy coming up next on the Hammer and Nigel Show. 27 at the American Standard Heating Weather Center. We got Guy Relford back for one more segment here. Monday, gun day. So, Guy, what's going on at the Indiana General Assembly? We always like to get your weekly updates here. Yeah, well, you know, we're playing defense, as we do every year. And in particular, I'm most concerned uh, about a bill actually offered by a Republican, I'm disappointed to say, that would strip a lot of the due process out of our red flag law. And that really is uh, a bill uh, that, that that was generated at the request of uh, Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears, I think. Well, well, hold on. Let me just stop you right there. Why is a Republican doing the bidding of Ryan Mears at all? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I've asked that question. And, and to his credit, and I don't want to out him. I mean, he's, he's been a friend of ours in the past, but... Um, but uh, he, he called me and said, Guy, I got this bill, and I want to see what you think about it. And he sent it to me before he ever filed it. And, 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 I, I, and I really love the opportunity to comment. I commented. I sent him an email back, and I said, you can't redeem this thing. You know, I'm sorry. You're stripping due process. I will oppose this you know, with every fiber of my body. And, uh, and, he, and he called me and said, well, I guess you don't care for this bill much, right? And we kind of chuckled, and, and I said no, and I asked him why. The good news is, is that Aaron Freeman, who's a tremendous uh, friend of the Second Amendment and was a hero, rock star for constitutional carry last year, I think carried the water for constitutional carry in the Senate last year to a large degree with hopefully and thankfully, I should say, the, the, the assistance of Rod Bray that the president pro tem, but but he chairs that committee, and Aaron has reached out and wants input. So we're we're, we're working, uh, you know, we're cooperatively and, and we're communicating a lot on that. But the good news is on the on the pro two way side, uh, just had a hearing on a on a good bill. It's House Bill ten oh eight, and that was last week. Uh, I went in and testified along with several others, including from uh, NRA and NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, that would discourage, it wouldn't necessarily eliminate, but it would discourage discrimination against firearms-related businesses. So gun shops, firearms instructors, gun ranges. Uh, there's a lot of discrimination by financial institutions yeah. against those businesses. And where, you've, you've experienced that. Oh, absolutely. I've had credit card processors say, I, I won't process payments for your book, Gun Safety for <laughs> a gun, gun Safety, safety book. book. Gun Safety. Uh, or for my firearms classes. You know, I teach gun safety. I teach responsible gun ownership. No. we. Yeah, you, if we, Shannon Watts did the exact same thing, they'd do backflips over it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, a gun safety book, and they're being buttles about it. Exactly. And, 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 
House Bill 1008 isn't as broad as we'd like it, uh, but it would at least discourage that kind of discrimination against the firearms industry. And that's Representatives um, uh, Manning and Speedy. Uh, I commend them for taking that forward. This coming week, a new representative, Craig Haggard, been a buddy of mine for a long time. I actually used to work for the NRA. And a, a badass uh, Marine Corps fighter pilot uh, cool. is now a brand new member of the Indiana General Assembly. This is his first term. And he has a bill that would protect our information as someone who has a license to carry handgun, right? Well, the Indiana State Police, they hold all that information on all those registrations of, of people who have licenses to carry. Um, and that's a, that, that's, a, that's a public record, right? As part of a governmental record. Well, the Open Records Act says people can access that. And we've seen across the country that uh, newspapers have gone in and they've accessed that information. They've published it. Hey, you want to know who has a license to carry a handgun in the state of Indiana or the state of Maryland or wherever it might be? And they've published it in newspapers. Um, and, and other government entities have looked for that information. It would protect that information. Um, that's getting a hearing this week. Uh, we just found out today. Um, and then there's a new self-defense bill. That actually, is a the bill this year, but it's the same one we've we've filed multiple years. That would actually allow a business owner, for instance, to point a gun at someone who wants to destroy their business. So let's say that there were some riots happening. Nigel and I talked about this right. earlier. Uh, there was a little bit of protesting, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be this weekend. Right. But let's just say you're a business owner and you're anticipating some bad stuff going down and you see an angry mob with a brick and a Molotov cocktail coming at your business. Right. This bill would do what? It would allow you to point a gun at them and say, not my business. So that, that person who's walking up to your, your business, throw a, that Molotov cocktail, Jason, that you just mentioned, through your window, burn your source of livelihood to the ground. Right now, if you point a gun at them and say, you're not burning my business down, you go to jail for a felony. You're kidding. Under Indiana law today. And and that bill would, wow. would, would fix that and say, no, I can at least point a gun at someone. You can still not use deadly force. You can't kill somebody. You can't shoot somebody merely to protect your property like your business. Right. I'm not talking about your home. That's Castle Doctrine, that's different. But but today, if I merely point my gun at that person, I go to jail for a felony. Wow. And uh, unfortunately, Representative Wendy McNamara from Evansville, who chairs the Courts and Criminal Code Committee in the House, has not given that bill a hearing the last two years. We're hoping that she finally does. If anybody hears this, you want to give a call, send an email to Representative McNamara and say, hear this damn bill, that would be helpful. we got about 10 seconds left here. If somebody wants to find you, ask a question, where do they go? RelfordLaw.com, best way to get a hold of me, RelfordLaw.com. Thanks, man. Guy Relford, you're the best. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Coming up at about 4.30, a little bit after, uh, journalist Alex Berenson. Awesome. Friend friend of the show. One of the most interesting interviews we always do on this show is Alex Berenson. He'll have some 
updates on his lawsuit with Joe Biden and Big Pharma. Um, I'm going to ask him about Elon Musk blocked him. Oh, no. Because he, they had some beef because Alex Berenson was one of the guys who you know, uncovered some of those Twitter files. Right. And apparently he did it, he released it on his Substack, Unreported Truths. And didn't do it on Twitter. Well, he did it on Twitter. He did both. And okay. Elon Musk had an issue with that. So we'll get a, a complete update there a little bit after 4.30. Now, some of our favorite TV pals were doing the uh, media rounds this past weekend. How about Senate Intel Committee loser Adam Schiff? Little pencil neck Adam Schiff. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget about our friend Eric Fartwell. The president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. Did you see Fartwell <laughs> at the 49ers game? Yeah, I saw Fartwell and Brian Stelter. Oh, God. Did you see the Brian Stelter one? Yes. He was tailgating. Stelter, uh, the like, thumb, is an know. Eagles fan. He doesn't watch football. And uh, Swalwell, Fartwell, of course, was representing the 49ers. Well, Pencilneck <laughs> and Fartwell spoke to CNN, and uh, Dana Bash did the interview with both of them. Let me guess. They can't stop crying that they were re- removed from th- this committee by McCarthy, the House Speaker. That's correct. Stop crying about it. That's correct. And to her credit, again, a rare act of journalism from CNN, Dana Bash put Adam Schiff's junk in a vice grip about lying (laughs) about the whistleblower. Ahead of the first Trump impeachment, you said the committee had not spoken to a whistleblower. In fact, that turned out not to be true. You know, the Washington Post uh, said so in their in their fact check. Uh, the Washington Post uh, uh, identified that, yes, before the person became a whistleblower, they sought advice from the committee. Uh, when I was asked the question, I thought they were referring to whether we had brought the whistleblower in. Uh, and I should have been more clear in my answer. I should have been more clear. No, you lied. You got busted, and that was your Weasley answer for <laughs> lying about the identity of the whistleblower. And not only that, but he lied to us for years about Russia collusion, Trump, uh, every day. This is you know the Senate Intel Committee, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the 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 House Intel Committee he lied to us to our faces for two years about yes, we do have evidence of collusion with Trump and Russia when they didn't have a shred. So after we heard uh, Adam Schiff uh, try to do the little runaround song and dance there, it was Fartwell's turn. <laughs> and listen here as Dana Bash puts his shorts in the salad shooter, asking him about sleeping and shagging the Chinese spy. You say very clearly you cut off ties with this person back in 2015 when you found out you cooperated with the FBI. But the bottom line question is this. Did you put yourself in a vulnerable position in any way so that this alleged Chinese spy could have benefited or even learn American secrets? Absolutely not. Uh, But, Dana, uh, don't take my word for it. Um, Take the FBI's word for it. They never talk about ongoing investigations. And and former Chairman Schiff knows this uh, as a member of the Gang of Eight. Three different times they came out and said two things. All I did was help them. And also, I was never under any suspicion of wrongdoing. Oh, okay. So your your buddies, Schiff and the other guys, said you were fine? Right. Your your other Democrat buddies said, ah, don't worry about it. You're fine? Eh, the FBI Anything? said it was cool. Well, that's good enough for us. Okay, fine. He was compromised. He still could have been compromised. Still could be compromised by that relationship. Who knows, you know, the depths of exactly what happened there. It cracks me up that those chicken heads on The View 
are convinced that Donald Trump was selling nuclear codes at a Mar-a-Lago. Meanwhile, on the House Intel Committee, you've got a dude who is literally shagging a spy, <laughs> and they're fine with that. They're cool with that. All right. So just Same when you thing, thought the spy that shagged me, <laughs> just when you thought that interview couldn't have any more losers on it, it's kind of like the you know world of professional wrestling. The WWE had their Royal Rumble, where every you know couple of minutes a new wrestler runs into the ring. Well, Ilhan Omar decided <laughs> to join the conversation, and <laughs> Ilhan Omar tells Dana Bash that. Yeah, she might have used some salty language about the Jews in the past. You said that Israel hypnotized the world. You said Israel is an apartheid regime, that politicians with pro-Israel stances were all about the Benjamins, which you very notably apologized for, Uh, that you support the BDS movement, which a lot of people think is rooted in anti-Semitism, compare the U.S. and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. I want to give you a chance to respond to all of that, which they say is a clear pattern. Yeah, um, I might have uh, used words at the time that I didn't understand were trafficking in uh, anti-Semitism. When that was brought to my attention, I apologized. I owned up to it. That's the kind of person that I am. That's the kind of person she is. I'm an anti-Semite, and when I say things out loud, I'll apologize for it. Because that's the kind of person I am. (laughs) She didn't know what she was saying. I mean, Pelosi came to her defense. Remember that was like a year or two ago uh, um, about some of her anti-Semitic statements. Um, Like Pelosi and the House... What did she say? She she tried to defend her, like saying, oh, she didn't know what she was saying. Um, um, Like she was Borat coming over here, not understanding the language. Ilhan Omar graduated from college with a double major. She's smart with a bachelor's degree in political science and and, and international studies. She's not an idiot. Those are some of the most classic anti-Semitic tropes that are out there. I mean, she listed off like five in a row. I didn't know what I was saying. You said Jews hypnotized the world. (laughs) God! You said Jews were all about the Benjamins, and then the interview goes on and Ilhan Omar tries to act like, well, I never knew there was some sort of stereotype about Jewish people and money. So when you apologized uh, for the all about the Benjamins <clears throat> comment, you said anti-Semitism is real and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. What did you learn? A lot. Um, I certainly did not or was not aware that the word hypnotize uh, was a trope. Um, I wasn't aware um, of, of the fact that there are tropes about Jews and money. Um, that has been a very enlightening uh, part of, of this journey. She's a liar. So when you said Such it's all about liar. the Benjamins, you didn't know that there was a stereotype about Jewish people and money. Like George Carlin once said. What? Some people lie. Some people are full of crap. <laughs> One of the oldest anti-Semitic tropes there is. The, the, the evil Jewish money influencing the politicians. That's that's a, a, a classic. It's, it's, it's one of the oldest things there is. What do you mean? Like, she didn't like, understand what like, she was talking about. 
<laughs> she's not Borat. <laughs> she wants that's you to believe that's yeah. her defense. Well, I'm, I'm Borat. I don't know what I'm saying. Afterwards, she probably gave two thumbs up. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> producer James is in house today. Can we get a little uh, uh, mood music, please? Yeah. We get a little feud here, Nige. All right. We've got the host of Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, and House Republican Jim Jordan. They kind of went at each other on Meet the Press yesterday regarding the fact that the FBI had a full-on raid at Mar-a-Lago when it comes to classified documents. But when it comes to Biden's garage next to his bitchin' Corvette with the door open, everything seems to be fine. 60 days before they actually uh, executed the subpoena. And more importantly, the only time the public found out about it is because Donald Trump told the public about it. This was not some sort of the you painted as a picture of the FBI did this, this and this within hours of each other when it was actually a year and a half of Donald Trump Jim, not did, complying did. with any of the requests from National Archives. A year and a half. This is not some sort of uh, proof that what? somehow that they've Trump. weaponized and Trump. playing politics over here. They raided, they raided Trump's home. They haven't raided Biden's home. Because they, Biden didn't defy a subpoena, Congressman. He <laughs> defied a subpoena. By the way, he had 60 days to comply with Trump's, the subpoena before they actually executed President the Trump warrant. had documents locked in a room with Secret Service protecting them. Uh, President Biden had documents in his garage and in a think tank that was funded by the Chinese. I think there's a difference. President Trump was the only guy who was actually are, president. Are, and I do believe that there's a little bit of a difference here. Why didn't Biden get a subpoena? And if he did, how was it different than Donald Trump? Donald Trump said, yeah, I'm not working with you lunatics for th- four years now, six years. Absolutely. You've been yeah. up my backside with ridiculous bull crap, everything from Russian PP tapes to Russian collusion. No, we're done here. Um Now, Donald Trump said he told his attorneys, we'll give you what you want, but, you know, we're going to give it to you. That wasn't good enough. So now Chuck Todd is carrying the water for the Biden administration because you can't have classified material. One, as a vice president, because you're not allowed to redact it. And number two, in a garage with your drug-using <laughs> cokehead son just running in and out. Here's a little more. The, me. You talk about that. You're worried about the Chinese and, and, and Hunter No, Biden. I'm just saying, Are I think there's a difference. Are you worried about the Chinese and Donald they Trump? They took pictures. They took pictures of— Are you at all worried about that? No, I, I'm not. But they took pictures of, of the documents at Trump's house. They took no pictures of documents. In fact, it's not just me who would like to know what went on here. Senator Warner said it last I, week. He would like to get a briefing. He wants to see— the documents no and guess what the fbi the issue, is saying no but they took pictures the of the folders is not whether, in trump's home the issue is not whether joe bought what joe biden did uh, no, the, is issue is, the issue, issue is equal treatment it, under the law. That's the issue. No, the equal issue is treatment under the law. You do not seem to ever see the same conspiratorial problems when it's a Republican. Those were all investigated for f- four years and they continue the way, to do it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
So that went on for about another six, seven minutes of Chuck Todd <laughs> saying everything under the sun to protect Joe Biden and Jim Jordan going the other direction. All right, Matt Baer, what's up? Hammer and Nigel presents is It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? On Hammer, how do we play? Is this anything? I'll run some stories by you. You tell us if they're anything or not. Dateline, Texas. A Texas woman is fed up. She is sick and tired of dozens of men coming to her door every single year looking for hookers that don't live there. <laughs> okay. Here is Elaine White talking oh. about the situation. How can a man go to a house in a neighborhood thinking they're going to get sex? As many hookers <laughs> and prostitutes are out there, go get one. Leave me alone with some sex website that nasty old men go and look for sex. They pay Venmo for the service and then they get my address and they come here. Yes, I have my Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum loaded four-inch barrel next to me, and I answer the door with it. Good for you. Yes, that is something. I like this lady. Old Texas lady not going to take any crap from these weirdo guys that are looking for hookers. Now, I don't know what the gun laws are in Texas, but Guy Relford clearly laid it out. You point that gun at somebody, you may be in trouble. The only thing I can think of is that, that her address is been given out to people by like a sex trafficking ring online or something like that or that it's or it sounds like they're getting fooled it sounds like they're getting scammed out of money here's a yeah shoot us some money on paypal here's the address of the prostitute you you could go to is this anything this woman asked for extra ketchup on her burger but when (laughs) they put on more than she expected she became a little bit furious slammed the burger on the counter and made a scene. I asked for extra ketchup and I thought, what, what is this? What is this? This is so much ketchup. I can't eat that. Are you making fun of me because I'm on a diet? Have you been a diet? Sugar? Ketchup? How many of you on the back? So it sounds like somebody's being a smartass. And by the way, her nickname's Ketchup Karen. Ketchup it Karen. It sounds like somebody's being a smartass back there. Oh, extra ketchup? I'll give you extra ketchup. It just unloads the entire bottle. I've done it before. When I worked at Burger King, my first job at Burger King uh, in Brownsburg, right off to I-74, uh, somebody at, like ordered like a Whopper Jr. with cheese, extra pickle. I, <laughs> I go, oh, they want extra pickle? I'm going to give them extra pickle. I, both hands. Oh. In the pickle jar with gloves. You had to put gloves on. Both hands in heaped. I mean, you couldn't close the bun uh, and heaped those pickles uh, uh, on that Whopper Junior. Did and they come back No, through? no, it was through the drive-thru. I would have figured, then I, like, I started getting worried, oh man, somebody's going to come back in and throw this at me. Is this supposed to be some sort of a joke? Because <laughs> I just took heaping piles of pickles because they said extra pickles. <laughs> so it sounds like somebody back there uh, behind the counter there in that fast food restaurant. But I do like that uh, it was being a smart aleck. But I do, that is my favorite nickname now Ketchup Karen. Ketchup Karen. <laughs> How would you have responded that at the end of your shift at Burger King, you're walking out to the Nige Mobile, and there's the guy. He's got the sandwich in his hand, and he's ready to beat your ass. Hey, man, just joking. It was a joke. <laughs> but apparently they liked it. No complaints. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's sitting really, at home on the couch, yeah. just rubbing the pickles <laughs> all over himself. <laughs> I'm going to go back to that Burger King. Oh, that guy knows exactly how I like it. <laughs> it's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on journalist Alex Berenson, author of Pandemia. You can subscribe to his Substack, Unreported Truths. Alex, I was thinking, I can't believe it's almost been three years since you've been coming on this show. <laughs> this this lunacy is... It, it is unbelievable. I mean, do you ever think to yourself sometimes, I mean, so much has happened, especially in your life, but the, but the general COVID craziness is maybe subsided just a little bit, but not a lot. Well, I mean, I do think it's subsided actually considerably among, you know, most folks. I, you know, I think most people are basically done, uh, you know, and I think obviously most people did get vaccinated and are sort of hoping at this point that, they, you know, that they are not hurt from it. They, yeah. I don't think people expect much from it, but uh, they'd be happy right now just to sort of forget they ever got vaccinated. A lot of people. But, yeah. but you know, our public health authorities and their brilliance will not let this go. Um, you know, they, they sort of randomly sometimes say they're going to put, you know, masks back on kids. Uh, although, you know, they, they, whenever they've tried that in places like L.A., they sort of had to drop it again. Um, and certainly they're not done with the vaccines um, in the face of what you would say at best is a widespread apathy, if not dislike of these vaccines. They continue to try to push them with the newest plan being, you know, we're going to try to get you to take one a year in the fall. Um, which is a great idea, except that the vaccines at best right now seem to have about a you know six week window of of working. <laughs> so I'm not sure what I'm not sure what they think that will do for the other 46 weeks, and that's the best case. Yeah. So so what makes you say the the vaccines are a disaster? Is that from the standpoint of of nobody's getting them? Like what are the what's the data say I there? Mean, I, mean, I mean, so here's why I'd say they are a disaster at best. Okay. It, they don't work, right? They, they don't stop COVID, okay? They don't stop infection. They don't stop transmission. Um, you will hear probably until the end of time that they stop serious disease and death. Yes. But the fact is, uh, you know, more than 100,000 Americans will die of COVID this year, you know, maybe 150,000. Um, and, you know, what people are now saying is, well, those are really old, sick people, um, and that's true, but that was true two years ago too. So, um, it, you know, it's just it's just not at all clear that they do anything now. For you know, for a few months in 2021, they appeared to work. Okay, they, they we, there's definitely this period, and I wrote about this in Pandemia, and it, you know, you can see it even more clearly with the benefit of hindsight. There's a short period after the first couple doses when you get a lot of antibodies, and they actually do what's promised. They you know they suppress infection. And, they, and because you're not getting infected, you're obviously not going to die, right? So they also stop severe disease and death pretty clearly. But those days are long gone. Um, you know, they, they, the mechanism of action of the vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, is not like other vaccines. We still don't really know what the long-term impact is. And the, the virus has changed. It's Omicron now. It's mutated away from the original, and the vaccines don't work very well. So that's why... You know, everybody knows this. They may not know, you know, the details of T cells and B cells and IgG4 and, you know, this and that. People have other things to do, I understand. You know, they don't have, you know, time to worry about the details. But they know that that the vaccines don't stop COVID. They know it because they've been vaccinated and gotten COVID. Their friends have been vaccinated and gotten COVID. And in some cases, might have even gotten pretty sick after being vaccinated. So 
So everybody knows that. And even without any side effects, let's say the vaccine had no side effects, which is not true, but let's say they had no side effects. Giving people a medicine that doesn't work is pointless. So that's for, and, and, and everybody knows that. And so no one wants these. Alex Berenson, our guest here on the Hammer and Nigel show. Alex Jason Hammer here. Over the last three years, you have had an incredible ride. The ups, the downs. For somebody that has heard your name, but not quite familiar with everything that's gone on up to COVID, set the record straight here. Are you anti-vax or anti-corruption, anti-government mandate? No, I, I'm, I'm. Look, I don't like the mRNA vaccines. That's for sure. Um, I'm not anti-vax in general. I was vaccinated as a child. My children have gotten all the standard childhood vaccines. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't. I'm not anti-vax. I, I mainly, I think that pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, have a long and not great history of being in it for the money. And you know, I covered the pharmaceutical industry for the New York Times for a number of years, so I saw it up close. And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think these companies are to kill people or anything like that. But when they spend a lot of money on a product and they are making a lot of money selling that product, they are going to go out of their way to present it in the best possible light possible, uh, the best possible light. And they and sometimes that means hiding the truth. And we used to reporters used to know that. Like, I mean, you know, the left used to know that. But now they seem to think Pfizer is, you know, is Moses. I don't understand it at all. And then what does it say to you that, like, we just had the story last week, how the U.K. Um, and, and their relationship with the uh, the COVID shots are are, yeah. are changing, right? They're not even so recommending it for people under 50 anymore. That's right. They're basically not recommending it for people under 50. And, and the reason that they're doing that is they, even based on optimistic assumptions about how well the boosters work, okay, optimistic, unrealistically optimistic, they estimated that they'd have to give almost a million, one million people under 50 the shots to prevent one case of COVID that would lead to needing oxygen in the hospital. Okay, a million shots for one case, just on a, on a pure, even if there are no side effects. And again, there are side effects. There's myocarditis, there's other side effects. That's a terrible waste of money. It, that would cost $100 million to stop one hospitalization. We can spend that money so much better. So the British, who are smarter about this than we are, are, you know, are recognizing at least some of the truth here. Alex, you mentioned earlier that the pharmaceutical companies, um, they're not really quick to put the truth out there. Do you think the CDC is the same way right now? I I think, unfortunately, yes. I think that, you know, unfortunately, our public health establishment got very, very, they fell very, very hard for these vaccines. And they they don't want uh, to recognize, you know, obvious problems with them. And how many people in the United States currently are are clamoring to get these vaccines? Is that the other reason why you say they're a failure is because really nobody is lined up around the corner to get these things anymore? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. So if you look now, here's an interesting statistic that people don't know. You know, there's all this talk about how, you know, I killed people. Tucker Carlson killed people. We prevented old people who needed these vaccines from getting them. Guess how many, and I'll answer for you, I'll make you guess, but guess how many people over 65 got the initial primary two-dose regimen? 96% of Americans over 65, okay? 
So, 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 so what we did, and by the way, I wasn't against that for older people at that time. I wasn't, and you can find me saying that. But the, the vaccine hesitancy was almost zero in the United States. Where the United States broke off from Europe was after the first booster, and then this certainly in 2022 with the spring booster and the fall booster. So in the United States right now, only about 15 percent, only about 40 million adults out of the you know 250 million adults who could get the fall booster have gotten and so so people just don't want any more of these shots we're speaking with alex berenson wanted to ask you um, about why elon musk has blocked you again on twitter <laughs> again, uh, i guess elon and i have a have a fraught relationship i don't know what to call it um so look, Elon, you know, he bought Twitter. He knows he overpaid for it. Um, and, you know, a pretty actually heroic act in some ways. He, he really believes in free speech. He believes that Twitter was being run by these sort of ultra leftists who are using it to kind of what he calls a woke mind virus to get ultra liberal ideas out there that, you know, have ruined San Francisco and that are, you know, problematic all over the place. So he bought Twitter. OK, then he decided he was going to open these corporate files to to a handful of journalists and let you know let us write what we wanted. Now that is to me that's a that's a really heroic act. Companies don't do that, and there's real risk for Elon that Twitter might get sued as a result of something you know those files being opened. He knows that he's not stupid. I mean, you say many things about Elon Musk. He's not stupid. He knows that, and so he did it knowing that. And so, unfortunately, I think because we're in this crazy, hyper-partisan environment, some of the really interesting stuff that came out of the files, especially about the FBI leaning on Twitter, um, you know, has just been ignored by the mainstream media, by the sort of by the you know the New, the New York Times of the world. And so, so, um, so he. So he, I think, it's frustrated by so, it. So he and, did, did he read? Did he like? Did you just get a one day pick up your phone and get a text from Elon Musk? Hey, do you want to come out here and go through some of these files? Yes, pretty really? much. That's how it went. That's so I cool. so I came out and it's this cool. I mean, it's this weird but cool process where Elon, um, uh, or Elon, he's not doing, it, but these Twitter employees are. Uh, you know, they show you files and you can kind of look through them. And, 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 and it's completely true. Elon puts no pressure on you what to write, what not to write. He's mad at me because I said to him, look, there's these long threads I don't think is a great idea. I don't think people are reading to the end of them. I'm going to substack this and I'm going to put highlights on my Twitter feed. And I thought ah, he understood that. Okay. So he, when it came out, he said, you should have put everything out in this long thread. I said, I told you I wasn't going to do that. So then he blocked me again. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, I hope he'll get over it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But the real problem is that he, I think he's frustrated that he took this great risk. Some really interesting stuff has come out, and the media just is ignoring it. And, man, it. you took some I, – I, I've seen you take some heat before, but, but after you put out your Twitter files, and we'll talk about the essence of what you found in those files, you really – I mean, people piled on you heavily, and some, yeah, some of the other guys, too. Yeah, well, the, yes. The, I mean, and weirdly enough, it's from the right. I think that, you know, the right really wants Fauci's head on a platter. Yeah. And, like, well, look, there may be stuff in the files. I didn't see that stuff. And, and, and so I didn't do that. I wrote a story about how Pfizer had leaned on Twitter. Um, and I thought it was a pretty good story, but it wasn't Fauci. And so people were upset about that. Um, so, guys, I got to go. So one okay. more question. Give me one more. Um, the, the lawsuit, Joe Biden. 
Um, you put that out there on Friday. Has it officially been filed yet? No, and- it, is, it has not been filed. Uh, it's not going to be filed for a little while. Um, what I was saying, you know, my, my lawyer has a first draft. You know, that's the first draft. We've got to go through it. We've got to strengthen it. There's some very interesting legal issues, some very interesting factual issues. My allegation is that, you know, the Biden administration and senior officials in the Biden administration and Pfizer and, and a director of Pfizer named Scott Gottlieb, who, you know, is on TV all the time and who was the head of the FDA, worked together to force Twitter to ban me, even though Twitter didn't yeah. really want to. And I think we have pretty strong evidence. And, you know, we'll take it to court and see what happens. Find his work on his Substack Unreported Truths. He's actually back on Twitter at Alex Berenson. Alex, um, as always, man, we appreciate your stuff and uh, happy new year great pleasure you too guys thanks it's the hammer and nigel show life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Man, Alex Berenson is like the most interesting man in America, isn't he? That was a great conversation. He's got, I mean, he's... He's like a. He wrote for the Times for ten years. Went over to Iraq, covered big pharma. He writes wrote spy novels, and then he started tweeting about COVID and digging into the data. And then you know, next thing you know, he's getting tweets and texts from Elon Musk coming to, you know, yeah, come out to San Francisco. We'll let you do one of these file dumps. I think that's fascinating. I mean, How would you feel if you woke up tomorrow, Nigel? <laughs> it's Elon. Come out here to Twitter, and we'll do and a now, Twitter files. And now, I knew we were talking about about because we were supposed to talk to him Friday, and he never got back to me. And I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of morally dejected. I was, I came home on Friday, and Lindsay's like, "What's wrong?" And I go, "Oh, man, I thought we were supposed to have Berenson on, and he he, he goes to this, and yeah, you know, he's suing the president, and he's got it." She goes, "Stop right there. Do you realize what you just said?" He's suing the president. He's got other. He's, you, you, you don't sue the president of the United States of America. Make time for the Hammer and Nigel show. I go okay, yeah. So so turn off so. the Adele music. Turn off the Taylor Swift, Nigel. Um, so, so if you get a chance, down that conversation. Um, it covers everything. Some of the latest data on the vaccines, uh, COVID-19 numbers, uh, his lawsuit uh, that he's going to file against the President of the United States and some of those other guys, Gottlieb, that weasel. There's a new survey showing that over one-third of adults admit that their parents are still paying at least one of their bills. Adults. Now, <laughs> I think that's tricky because technically at 18, you're an adult. So you I have know, a high school senior who's 18, and yes, we're still paying his bills. Does that count? No, that doesn't count. And I'm assuming he gets good grades, and I'm assuming he's in a bunch of sports, and he's still in high school, for God's sake. Right. Are you going to make him get a job in the summer? Yes, after baseball season, and depending on what happens at UND, if he makes any teams or not. Um, but yes, absolutely. Well, look, there's a new place to borrow money. I, I don't know if you're aware, Hammer and Nigel have a financial division. Oh. And so this is new from Hammer and, fin- Hammer and Nigel Financial. 
If you're having a hard time making rent, go to one of the most reliable financial institutions. The Bank of Mom and Dad is open for business. The Bank of Mom and Dad. Parents lending or giving money to their adult children. The Bank of Mom and Dad can finance your housing. Car insurance. Phone bill. Streaming services. And more. My estimated contribution was zero. The current mortgage rate is over 5%, but at the Bank of Mom and Dad, your living at home loan rates can be as low as 0.0%. The Bank of Mom and Dad. Member FDIC. Freeloaders drawing income charity. The Bank of Mom and Dad. New from Hammer and Nigel Financial. Top stories next. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock my name is Nigel, Jason Hammer right over there. About a half hour from now, Chief Randall Taylor from the IMPD will be calling in to uh, react and we'll uh, talk to him about what happened in that awful uh, police video in Memphis. Right now, though, Donald Trump, I don't like this man. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a good look for Trump. He's gone negative on DeSantis. And what bothers me the most here is is that it feels like the Trump supporters and the DeSantis reporters are going to have a little bit of a feud here. I'm sorry, not reporters. Supporters? Followers. Followers, okay. Followers, rather. Uh, they're going to have a little bit of a feud here, and that's not good for the party. That's going to fraction the party, and that's how turds like Joe Biden <laughs> end up getting elected. Yeah. Uh, so, where was this? He was doing an interview on some was it an airplane yeah. that he was on? He was in the sky, and we're going to play you some audio. Okay. The audio, it's not great, because obviously they're flying. He's sitting next to an engine. But <laughs> this is Donald yeah. Trump telling a few reporters on his jet about Ron DeSantis. I mean, I had governors that uh, decided not to close this state. Florida was actually closed for a very long period of time. I remember he closed the beaches and everything else. Uh-oh. You know, it's... Uh, they're trying to rewrite history. It's sometimes hard to do. So well, then when I hear he might run, you know, I consider that very disloyal. But it's not about loyalty. But to me, it is. It's always about loyalty. Wow. So, wow, wow, wow. Pointing out the fact that uh, uh, De Sanctimonious did close his <laughs> state for a little while. We did get trying... a De Sanctimonious on Truth Social earlier today as oh, well. Did we get a De Sanctimonious? We got that's a uh, Ron De Sanctimonious. But the thing that I don't understand is, again, that audio clip isn't the greatest, but at one point, the former president says, you know, it's about loyalty. And then he says, you know, you don't have to be loyal, but you kind of have to. I'm paraphrasing there. It didn't really make sense to me. And he called DeSantis a globalist. Um, it, it, I, like all these people that he insults are all people that he endorsed and were friends with and told the American public to vote for. So are you really going to look at me now and say, yeah, you voted for a globalist? Will you? You told me to vote for him. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And again, and we can't stress this enough, Ron DeSantis has not announced if he's running or not. He's in no hurry. He probably should just wait this thing out. He's got his, I'm telling you, he's got his feet back up on his desk, his his head in his hands, just kind of waiting to see how it all plays out. He's sitting on a boatload of cash. Um, and and maybe he's waiting for uh, some sort of Trump implosion, right? Before he does 
decide to make the announcement if and when he does. My concern, though, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, is let's just say Donald Trump becomes the nominee. Donald Trump beats DeSantis, or DeSantis doesn't run. I think the DeSantis people will vote for Trump if he's their guy. I don't know if that's going to be the way other way around. Like, if Ron DeSantis gets in and beats Donald Trump, are the Trump voters going to support the candidate, support oh, the Republican wow. nominee, or are they going to be like, screw you guys, we're going home, and that's going to hurt? It's really going to hurt? Well, I tell you, who won't vote for Trump if he gets in are the independents. That's that's like you started at the beginning of the segment talking about you know factions or uh, you know uh, f- you know fractioning the, um, the the Republican Party the GOP into several different little tribes and the independents are going to go one way and the MAGA supporters are going to go in another way and the DeSantis guys are going to go this way and it's going to be another win for the Democrats. But I think there's a lot more MAGA folks than possibly independents. I could be totally wrong on that. I may be. But Donald yeah, Trump had the second most votes of any president yeah. in the last election, and he still didn't win. But look what happened in the midterms. That's I mean, a good point. Midterms are an indicator of how things uh, might shape out in the 2024 presidential election. Speaking of which, uh, did I hear that uh, old Pocahontas is refusing to back Kamala as a VP, as Biden's <laughs> VP nominee, if he decides to run? Listen what, to, what this to this weaselly answer to a question. So, Elizabeth Warren, i.e. Pocahontas, and for those of you who aren't familiar, she lied about her heritage to advance her education and her career, said she was a Native American, <laughs> and look at that woman. If she's an Indian, then I'm the first-round pick in the NBA draft. But listen to this. She was asked, are you going to back Kamala Harris if he's Biden's vice presidential pick? Could Kamala Harris be the, his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. I've known Kamala for a long time. I like Kamala. I knew her back when she was when she was an attorney general and I was still uh, uh, teaching and we worked on the housing crisis together. So we go way back. But they need they have to be a team. And my sense is they are. I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems. I think they are. <laughs> that really wasn't a yes, I've got her back. Not at all. <laughs> and Elizabeth Warren's not stupid. She knows the only reason that Kamala Harris got that pick was to check off a few boxes. For God's sake, Kamala Harris was calling Biden everything but a racist during those Democrat debates in the primary. Said she believed his accuser, uh, Tara Reid. And now she's working for the guy. <laughs> Let's go to work. Remember that phone call? You ready oh, yeah. to go to work? Uh, you ready? To, I'm, I'm going to put you up. I mean, I realize you, you accused me of racism and palling around with segregationists, but yeah, come to work for me. It will be interesting, though, to see <laughs> if Elizabeth Warren gets a little tougher with Kamala Harris. Because, again, I can't even believe I'm about to do this. If I'm Kamala Harris, I'm looking at Elizabeth Warren and going, oh, you think I was picked because I checked some boxes? Your whole career has been a lie because you said you checked a few boxes. Your whole career. Well, and that's liberals in general. Identity politics is, is their goal. Do we have time to do booze news? Always. Let's, let's do some booze news here. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd. One by one. 
We are gonna read booze news, cause it's really fun. Once it hits your lips, it's so good. And we're going to present booze news, booze news. Yeah. <laughs> All right, do you want to set this up? Because I, I hadn't heard it before. I didn't. I have not heard this clip before with Gavin Newsom, but I, I'm dying laughing when I heard it over the weekend. So this is an older clip from a speech he was giving in 2019. And I think he's trying to justify the homeless people being allowed to use drugs in the streets of California. <laughs> and his selling point on it was... Well, I'll just let him say it. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. If you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, We all need to self-medicate periodically. (laughs) Quote, clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country has ever made. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic. What, What is he talking about? What's he saying, actually? Or is he just saying, yeah, clean and sober, stupid? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I own a winery, for God's sake. Kept it open during COVID. He's trying to spin this as, let the homeless people do heroin. We'll give them safe needles. We'll give them safe crack smoking pipes from the government. Leave them alone. I have a glass of wine. Sober sucks. Could you imagine that being the Democratic platform for 2024? (laughs) Clean and sober is the biggest mistake ever. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. Gavin Newsom, 24. All right. Uh, Again, we've got the uh, chief of police, Randall Taylor, calling in here in just a few minutes, 533. Uh, We'll have a lot of interesting conversation with the chief. But right now, Matt Baer's got to look at the roads. Hammer Nigel show. Jason Hammer right over there. My name is Nigel. So those two hosts from Good Morning America are out. They were hooking up, right? They were having the, uh, an interwork romance. He was right. dipping the pen in the company eat, <laughs> so yes. to speak. Amy Roback and TJ Holmes are out at Good Morning America. It sounds of- like TJ Holmes uh, was a man that enjoyed the ladies. Because <laughs> now all these man. tabloids are coming out with stories of, yeah, Amy Robach wasn't the only one he was hooking up with over at that joint. So, so is there a problem? I, I'm not sure if there was... And I, I don't know how I feel about it. If, if, if Holmes was harassing her or harassing other women, that's one thing. But, I mean, dude... Were the ratings bad? Like, just be, you're having a consensual adult relationship with a coworker uh, that just happens to be your co-host, and both of you guys are married, by the way. Were they? Yes. Wow, that's a bad look. Now, Robach, I, um, I guess, was in the closing stages of her marriage. They were going through the motions, getting ready for divorce. Holmes was married, and. Um, that's why this became such a big deal. These these two, they're they're married and they're hooking up, and it was consensual. You're 100 percent right. But does that change anything for you that they were both married? Mm, other than you look just kind of sleazy, but it happens all the time. Did it happen with Scarborough and Minka? 
Well, uh, Joe was going through the closing stages of a relationship. I don't know if he was still married or yeah. not. I think he was. And he started hooking up with Minka, and now they have a show together. Yeah, so, I mean, they sleep in the same bed. <laughs> right. I loved it when Tucker there. did that monologue, because Joe Scarborough was finger-wagging about, I don't know, Breaking the sanctity up. of life or something. <laughs> yeah. And Tucker had that great monologue of, you need Joe Scarborough to tell you what's right from wrong, because he would never do anything to break up a family. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't really watch Good Morning America. I'm more of a local news guy. Our Wish TV, uh, Wish TV does a great job in the mornings. But, um, and certainly, I mean, hell, I met my wife in this building. Right. In many ways, you were TJ Holmes before it was cool. <laughs> I was. And she was. She worked in the corporate area in HR, no less. Man, you, that so, was great. Uh, like got, you had somebody up there on the inside, yeah. the seventh floor. So if if that's a fireable offense, I should never have been uh, rehired here in the first place. So the question becomes: even if they're married. If it's consensual sex between two adults and they're both happy, and clearly it looked like they were. I mean, they were going out on dates and vacations and things like that. Should they have been fired? Or was this just the excuse for ABC to blow these people out saying, you know what? You make a lot of money. You're not bringing it back in. Uh, We're going to use this as our excuse. Kick rocks. Because I have a hard time believing that if George Stephanopoulos got caught cheating on his wife, they would fire George like that. Well, they did Matt Lauer. But was all of his consensual, though? There seemed to be a little harassing right. going on. He had like a uh, sex okay. dungeon, didn't he? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think he had a button on his door where he could automatically lock it from his desk. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was completely out of line for suggesting the sex dungeon. It was just a door to let people know that you have to stop having in-house sex. I apologize. Is that wrong? <laughs> George Costanza over there. Uh, Dateline, Washington State. A 30-year-old man in Tacoma was arrested last Thursday after he caused a huge fire. He pulled up in a stolen vehicle and tried to siphon gas from another car oh, good God. while smoking a cig. <laughs> he had a heater in his mouth, and next thing you know, boof. <laughs> That's got to be one of the dumber stories I've heard uh, today. Boy, it's only Monday, too. Guys siphoning gasoline. I've known somebody that's done that before. I've watched somebody siphon gasoline before, and the gasoline got in their mouth. Well, I would imagine awful. so. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't doing it. It was. It was on. I think it was on his 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 tractor or something. It was. He was doing something. Oh. And it went in his mouth, and it was just. I couldn't imagine having that taste, and that, that's something that would linger. Yeah, like you don't just get rid of a, the taste of gasoline in your mouth if, if you're siphoning. You can't drink a little oh, bit of water no. and swish it around <laughs> and expect to be just fine right after that. Oh, that's awful. But the days of people walking around doing various things with cigs, it's nowhere near as bad as it was when we were growing up. Because I don't know about you, but I remember being a kid and playing Little League. And again, I played Little League over on the east side at Brookside Park. But it was normal for the coaches to have that lung dart hanging out of their mouth, hitting your ground balls left and right. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I, I had some friends. I mean, their parents would smoke in bed. <laughs> I, I'd go to their bedroom and... Nothing puts you to sleep yeah, like a good cig. A, a giant ashtray laying bedside <laughs> on the nightstand. 
And, uh, yeah, smoking anymore, you are a pariah. And you're being taxed to the hills. Right? It's weird when you see movies that are old, but they don't feel like they're old. Like, every year, we watch Die Hard at Christmas time, right? Well, at the beginning of that movie, McLean's getting on the plane. People are smoking. Yeah. People are smoking heaters on the plane. Like, people can't fathom that that was a thing well, back in the is, day. Well, there is a smoking section on a plane, right? Which I don't think really made much sense, because there's no way to stop the smoke from spreading to the, the other The filtration places. system wasn't yeah. as good then as it is now, that's for sure. <laughs> But the uh, casino industry, that's one place, man, where you can just walk around with all the cigs you want. (laughs) And I'm telling you, in Shelbyville, when I worked there, there were a lot of people that were saying, you need to get rid of smoking in here. But if you look at the numbers of the casinos that got rid of smoking, boy, their revenue went way down. Because if you got one vice, you probably got another. (laughs) So come on in, grab a cocktail, light up a lung dart, and hit that one-armed bandit. Real quick, this made me think of, we just had to put our cat down uh, a week or two ago, so it was pretty, pretty bad scene there for a while. Kids have never really had to go through that before. Just kind of a sudden thing that and thousands of dollars later, the the cat's gone. But this kind of made me, this 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 one made me smile because um, this couple out of Nevada was able to save their cat who was accidentally walled inside of their shower by a contractor. Oh, no. So you got this guy, this you know bathroom remodel or whatever right. you're doing, and the cat gets back there, and here is the moment that uh, Rebecca Simpson and her boyfriend were able to actually smash a hole uh, into the wall of their shower and release their cat, Winston, from inside. Hi, buddy. Oh, hi. Hi, Winston. It's okay. It's just us. I found hi. you. Come on, buddy. Good job. Hi. Good job. Do you imagine looking around for your cat for a couple days? I hear him. He's meowing, (laughs) but I don't know where he is. You're naked in the shower. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's good? I know I hear something or someone. Oh, no. Well, good for Winston. I'm glad yeah. Winston's out there. Glad Winston made it. And uh, R.I.P. Lacey, our, our family cat, uh, recently um, uh, had some issues and had to go away. So Thousands um, of dollars later. Yes, multi-thousands of dollars Been later. there, yeah. done that. I think a lot of people who have pets understand. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, uh, we're going to have a conversation with Chief Randall Taylor. He's the chief of police for the IMPD. We're going to talk about Memphis. We're going to talk about what happened happened in Memphis relates to what they do here in Indianapolis. We've got a lot of things to get to. That's coming up next right now. We take a look at the news. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a very special guest on the DriveHubler.com hotline. The chief of police for the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department is Randall Taylor. He joins us now. Chief, thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, I want to get your opinions, not necessarily as a chief of police, but as a man, as a father of what you saw on that Memphis video. Yeah, well, first, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh yeah, that that video was uh, tough to watch, regardless of uh, which angle you're coming from. Of course, for police, we're uh, 
disappointed to see other officers uh, act that way. Uh, you know, there's no no police department in the country that I know of that would train to anything like that. But uh, certainly, as a father, uh, knowing uh, not exactly what. Uh, uh, what the Nichols family is is dealing with, but as a parent, just seeing your kid uh, basically being beat to death, that that's got to be difficult for them. And uh, you know, we pray for them as a department, and my wife and I certainly prayed for for that family uh, individually and as a couple. But just uh, just remarkable in a in a in a bad way, obviously. Chief, we've heard other members of law enforcement say that they hate when cops act bad almost more than your average everyday criminal because more is expected. Is that true? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I put out a video to our troops that, you know, reminding them that the actions that they take uh, impact not only our officers here, but all across the country. Uh, just like in, in this case with Memphis, people are, are not just putting that on Memphis cops. That that comes over this way as well. So, yeah, we, we hate to see when officers are so far out of bounds uh, with something like that because, uh, you know, every, every step that we take forward, it's two or three back when these kind of things happen. What kind of things do you tell your police department? I mean, you're the chief of a major metropolitan uh, police department, and a high-profile, disturbing um, incident takes place. It's on camera. What's What are some of the first things you tell uh, the, the men and women um, that are under your um, sure. tutelage? Yeah, well, just like I said, reminding them of of the impact that their actions can take. I mean, fortunately, we know that not only our officers, but officers across the country typically don't act like that and, uh, you know, deal with thousands upon thousands of different incidents every day and don't act uh, anything like that. So I remind them that I, I know we know the good work that they do, uh, the important work that they do, but uh, also, you know, just reminding them that, look, if, if, if we see one one of our other sister and brother law enforcement uh, having issues where they're too hyped up on something that we need to step in and and and, and pull them out of that so that they uh, uh, they don't make things worse. Uh, you know, we're all human. We all are obviously can make mistakes, but uh, we got to look out for one another, especially when when things are getting bad. IMPD Chief Randall Taylor is our guest here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Chief, we don't know why this happened. I'm sure there's going to be a long, extensive investigation, but we already see a lot of talking heads on television say that even though everybody involved here was black, it's because there's systemic racism in police departments all throughout the country. I'm curious as to your reaction when you hear people on major news networks and guests on television shows say that. Well, you know, I've been around for a long time, 35 years in law enforcement, so I've heard a lot of different things. And one thing I've learned is that, you know, I, I don't know what everyone else has experienced. I don't know what their history is and what they've had to deal with in their life. So it's hard for me to tell them that, you know, they're wrong. Um, however, I, I can only look at, at what I can see through our department. Uh, uh, I hear those talks about systemic racism, and I believe there's there, there's probably some factor of that that's that's probably true, but I don't know that you can put it on law enforcement as a whole and say that uh, because this is a profession we've chosen that we've uh, we're somehow uh, 
set in that kind of mindset. Uh, I know plenty of officers, majority of our officers that uh, wouldn't react like that, wouldn't do anything along those lines and are not racist. But um, but I've also been around long enough to know that there, there are probably a few uh, that exist. And, you know, our goal is to identify those officers that are really not uh, not doing the, the things that we would hope they would do as a department or as a community uh, and deal with them. But I feel a vast majority, especially the IMPD personnel, uh, that doesn't apply to. Chief, does the do groups like the 10-point coalition help in your cause? Uh, groups like the mayor's, um, the mayor's task force that he formed, does that help in the everyday uh, lives of I, uh, IMPD officers? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of different groups that uh, uh, come to us and, and want to help in different ways. And, uh, you know, some of their ideas are are very different uh, from some of the other groups we may work with. But we, we try to have uh, basically an open ear to the concerns that uh, groups and citizens have in Indianapolis in order to try to make the department the, the best it can be. Uh, you know, I have a group of people, uh, about 50 of them, when we put out our critical incident videos, uh, that watch those videos prior to going out to the general public. And these are not people who, uh, uh, they're not they're not my yes men or yes women. Uh, they tell me what they see. Some of them uh, are not necessarily pro-law enforcement, but I appreciate their, uh, their opinion. I think it's good, sound advice on uh, the things that we may need to change but they also are willing to tell us the things that we're doing right. So uh, groups uh, like the Mayor's Group and, and Tim Point and all the other ones that uh, uh, have our ear and get a, a seat at the table are greatly appreciated uh, across the board. Chief, is there a concern that the Civilian Merit Board, which, for those who don't know, has a large hand in helping dictate policy uh, for the IMPD here in Marion County, is there a concern that a group of folks who many of them have never been involved in law enforcement are going to overreact when they see uh, a couple rogue bad guy cops from other states and make your jobs more difficult here in Indianapolis? Well, you know, they they go through a training uh, to try to help them understand where the cops are coming from. Now, granted, I will admit uh, uh, training is not the same as doing the work day in and day out. But uh, uh, I believe there's enough input on our side that we uh, were able to protect that from happening, any kind of overreaction. Uh, but in reality, you know, good police work is not, not difficult to identify whether you're a cop or not. Uh, I think our, our policies are sound. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the only thing missing is they may not know the day in and day in crime that our officers have to, to go through. Um, but I also believe that uh, there's enough uh, input on our side that we can uh, limit any overreactions that could pop up during uh, these kind of times when people uh, see those kind of videos and, and, and may you know, become uh, supercharged in, in going after officers that may have violated some policy. Chief Taylor, IMPD here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. What do you think is contributing a major factor in the trouble that you guys are having in terms of recruiting? I know you're a few hundred officers short, yeah. and we'd like to increase that number. What do you think is happening there? 
Well, I think a lot of it is uh, people are realizing more and more how difficult law enforcement is. Uh, some of that has been uh, because of incidents like this that occurred in Memphis, but some of it is, you know, uh, uh, people see that the, the job is dangerous. And, uh, you know, over and over we see officers that get jammed up in things, and, and people don't often understand or always understand that, uh, you know, law enforcement officers go through thousands and thousands of calls over the weeks and months, uh, and, and things go well. But when they go bad, when we have a death, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny upon us. And I think that ultimately hurts recruiting. And I'm not saying that scrutiny is wrong. I think as IMPD, we do hold our officers accountable. Uh, but I do also think people need to understand that it is a difficult job. And a lot of times uh, when bad things happen, it's not because officers are attempting to make those things bad. It is just, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's just things that happen. Um, you know, we have lawsuits going on right now on Whitfield and, and different things there. But, uh, you know, sometimes I, 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 I have to look at the intent, right? Uh, was there an intention on uh, things going wrong? And, and typically there's really not. But I think those things work uh, against us. Uh, I think uh, it's just... Um, uh, you know, the, the younger uh, officers that we get a lot of times uh, uh, aren't in it for the long haul. Uh, for whatever reason, they have different uh, desires and they may come on and stay for a few years and then step out. And then the other other issue is everyone's fighting for the same people. <laughs> you know, whether whether local, state or federal, uh, we're all striving to find those qualified candidates. And and that's just getting a little more difficult. And again, if anybody is interested, uh, they can reach out to the IMPD. They are accepting applications. They are about 100 or so officers short. They could certainly use more people signing up. Last thing here, Chief, before we let you go, what would you tell somebody listening right now? That they've just got it in the back of their head that all cops are bad, and when they get pulled over, something bad's going to happen. What message would you tell those folks? Well, I, I would tell them to... If they really are interested, look at the statistics. The statistics wouldn't back that up. Uh, understanding that people can be concerned, and I get that. Um, but uh, in, in all reality, that is, uh, if you're acting right, uh, you're probably going to make make it through things without an issue, especially on a traffic stop. Uh, we, of course, ask people, don't, don't do things that are silly. You know, officers don't have the luxury of knowing what a great person you may be. Uh, so please, you know, no quick movements, no, no uh, trying to argue cases out there in traffic like that. Uh, just, you know, be calm, understand that, uh, you know, if you get a ticket, you, you know, the place to fight that would be in court. Uh, same thing on a, on a general arrest, uh, uh, you know, trying to, to hold court uh, out there or, or becoming uh, violent is never going to be the, the solution. But I think most people would agree for for a majority of the time uh, when they have uh, interactions with police, uh, they're going to be fine. Uh, everyone's going to come out okay. Just stay calm. Well, Chief, I know this isn't a, uh, a fun time to address the media with everything that's going on, but we respect you for taking the time to call into our show, talk about some difficult things. And again, please tell your officers... Uh, the ones that do things the right way, there's a lot of people that still support and have their back, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. 
Well, I believe they know that, and I certainly feel supported by the community, so I appreciate it. Chief Randall Taylor, thank you. Thank you. Take care. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel Jason Hammer. Right over there, an entire hour of the Hammer and Nigel Show coming up, including the latest from Memphis. And also, we'll hear from the gun guy, Guy Relford. So, I don't even want to talk about this story because it brings me pain just to talk about it. Oh. There's a basketball player from Clemson. His name is Brevin Galloway. Okay. He is on the injured list. He posted a video from his hospital bed to reveal why he was on the injured list. He had a testicle explode. What? He had a freak testicle injury that he discovered after waking up from a nap. (laughs) He says he woke up from the nap and it was exploded. Uh, What does that mean? It was exploded. I don't know. Does he not have a testicle anymore? He says he plans to play again in about a week. <laughs> I wake up from a nap and my testicles exploded. I'm quitting life. That's it. I'm done. I'm quitting the team. I'm quitting my job. I'm not getting out of bed anymore in the morning if I got a testicle explosion. We've all had the occasional, you know, oh groin injury. Why did you do this story? Oh, Sometimes we have a bit on this show called How Have You Injured Your Crotch? <laughs> yeah, we've got to get him on the phone the next time we do that. But. This guy is the number one seed. If we did a March Madness style bracket of How Have You Injured Your Crotch, some people, you know, they get hit on a fence or a ball hits them he took a nap and his beanbag exploded ah! okay all right can we can we get out of here please we, we went along with the uh <laughs> we just had the chief of police on <laughs> now we're talking about exploding testes welcome to the hammer and nigel show <laughs> top stories coming up next whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.